Hello and welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David looks at transformation, the change that leads to abundant life. Let's listen. Do you remember the first time you went skiing? Uh, I remember the first time I went skiing, and I I kept hearing from people before I went, oh, you're young, you're athletic, you're going to pick it up really quickly. So, when I got invited in college by some friends, I said, sure, yeah. And I said, is there anything I need to know? And they said, no, not really. You'll, you'll pick it up. So, I really didn't think twice about it until I was on top of the mountain after, you know, taking it all the way up, feeling very unsteady on my skis and looking down, realizing what was before me. Look at my naive self. <laughs> didn't know what was coming. But I was so ready, and yet I was looking down going, okay, I need more information. And I asked my friends, really, what do I do if I need to stop? And they said, oh, okay, we can tell you that. If you need to stop, just make a pizza shape with your skis. I thought, all right, that sounds simple enough. Great. Well, on my first time down, sure enough, I can stay up just fine, but I see a tree in front of me, and I'm going to need to (laughs) slow down or stop. So I make a pizza shape. Now, I didn't realize till later that what they meant by that is you make a big, wide triangle, and you dig in your skis, and then you'll be able to slow down and stop. I didn't know that if you make a small, narrow triangle, and you don't dig in your skis, you just go faster. (laughs) And so I did that, went faster, right into the tree. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll learn from this, but all day. I would see an obstacle in my path. I would make the the little pizza and go, woo, flying right into it. It was a disaster. By the end of the day, I was bruised and and beaten, and I swore to myself, I will never go skiing again. Now, a couple years later, I get a family invitation. Yes, the whole extended family is getting together, and they're going skiing again, and I really wanted to say no. But I said, yes. I said, sure, I'll I'll join the family. It's the big family gathering. But I said, on one condition, on day one, I'm going to enroll in ski school. And I can remember walking up to the counter and and saying, "Uh, do you have lessons for someone my age? Really thinking it'd be a lot more of the kids that sign up for that. And they said, of course we do. And they put me in a group with other adults who never learned to ski. And by the end of that day, I felt like a transformed skier. I was not amazing by any stretch of the imagination, but I felt transformed because all of a sudden I had enough knowledge to know how to ski without feeling so bruised and beaten by the end. I want you to think of an experience like that in your life where you experienced transformation, where something changed in you. And what was the catalyst for that? Was it new information? Was it someone guiding you? What helped you change or transform when you most needed it? You see, during this Lenten season, we're asking ourselves this one central question, which is, how do I live the abundant life? And I think that change and transformation are an essential aspect of the abundant life. And the reason for that is that we're not perfect, right? We can always be growing, and growth necessarily involves change. We don't stay the same and grow. Now, there's a story in the Bible 
that shares with us a profound transformation that we're going to study today. It's a story that really should be read more on Halloween than it should on a Sunday in Lent, but we're just going to jump in anyway because it really illustrates the point well. I want you to watch for the transformation in this story. Here's how it begins in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They, meaning Jesus and his disciples, they went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. So as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit comes and meets him. He runs up to Jesus. And did you notice where he came from? The tombs. Why is this man running up to Jesus? Why is he coming from the tombs? Well, we find out in the next verse. It says this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained, hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. We are told this man lived among the tombs, which we know is not really living. They might call it that, but nothing in the description of this man sounds like really living, does it? Apparently, he's a danger, maybe to himself, maybe to others, because neighbors from the surrounding towns would chain him up. But I guess he also has some sort of superhuman strength because he was able to break the chains Oh, and one more thing. The next verse says, Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. What a sad existence. So to recap, we have a possessed man who's living in a cemetery with superhuman strength. Oh, and if you live in a nearby town, chances are good that you'll hear him screaming from the tombs at night. And which we all say, okay, where is this story headed? I know that's what I thought when I was reading through these verses. Okay, what's going to happen to this man? Well, from the way that Mark, the author of this story, is telling it, I feel like it's building up to a confrontation. Don't you? I mean, don't you think as this man is coming from the tombs, chains are are dragging behind him, and he's running up towards Jesus, don't you think a physical confrontation would have occurred next. Uh, That maybe the disciples would place themselves between Jesus and this man, saying, no, don't get anywhere near to him. That's what I would expect would happen. And yet what happens next surprises everybody. It says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Yes, instead of a physical confrontation, This man falls on his knees in front of Jesus. Why would you do that? I mean, normally you only kneel down towards someone if you're showing them a massive amount of respect. Uh, You would kneel down in front of a king, for instance. But this man, whom no chains are powerful enough to bind, willingly kneels down in front of Jesus. Why? We're told in the next verse, We're told that he shouted at the top of his lungs, What do you want from me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, 
don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirits. Why does this man kneel in front of Jesus? It's because he knows Jesus. And he believes that Jesus has come to bring him harm. Why does he think that? Well, it's because the part of him that is speaking right now is not his true, his true self. This is the part of him that is in need of healing. And healing can be painful, can't it? I mean, if you've ever had to quit an addiction before, you know how painful healing can be. This man is in desperate need of healing, but he is scared of the healer. Let's bring this to ourselves for a second and ask, how do we apply this to our lives? Which I know you're wondering, yeah, how do we? What we just read, how do you possibly apply that to our lives? And, and to help us discern that, I want to ask the question, where do you need healing in your life? You know, when you're honest with yourself, is there a part of you that knows you need it, but doesn't really want it? A part that's more comfortable with the way things are, even if they're not that great. Yes, change, true change in one's heart is not easy. And I think the first step that we're seeing in this story, the first step for that change to actually occur is falling down on our knees in front of Jesus. Yes, healing begins by having the courage to seek the healer. This man could not heal himself. He could not make himself of right mind. He could not heal the wounds of his soul. And neither can I. And neither can you. It's a little like me as a skier, right? I wanted just to do it myself. And yet, when I did that, I ended up sore and bruised because of it. And we can approach life like that, too. We end up sore and bruised through life when we try to do it all on our own. But when I swallowed my pride, when I took the ski lessons, I submitted to the, the teaching of those who actually knew what they were doing. And it was after that that I experienced transformation. But we're not talking about skiing here. We're talking about our lives. And we also have the chance to submit our lives and to put our lives in control of God, the one who in God's hands is capable of guiding us into the abundant life. Now, visibly, we are not like this man in the story, are we? We are not dragging chains behind us from the graveyard. But we do have some things in our lives that we keep locked away, don't we? We've got baggage in our lives that we also drag with us wherever we go. We have the places that are in need of transformation. And Jesus is about to show us how that transformation takes place. It happens in a really interesting way. The next verse says, Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? Isn't that an interesting question? I mean, I would expect at this point in the story for Jesus to see this man, to understand what's happening in him, and say, Be healed, or maybe spirit, leave him, or something like that that Jesus so often has done in very similar situations. But Jesus doesn't do that here. Instead, Jesus asks him a question. Jesus says, what is your name? Your name really identifies who you are, 
doesn't it? Your name gives you a sense of belonging. It connects you to your family, to your ancestors, those who came before you. There is power in a name, and the response that Jesus gets to the question of what is your name shows you how deep this problem is in this man's life. The response he gets is, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Or as I like to picture how it must have sounded, he probably said something like, my name is Legion, for we are many. Right? Wouldn't you think that that's how he would answer that question in this situation? But notice the man doesn't respond with his name. He doesn't say, oh, my name's Peter or my name's John. Instead, the part of him that is desperate for healing is what responds. And the impure spirits in him have a name, Legion. Now, in Rome, a legion of soldiers was 5,000 soldiers. So this man is carrying a lot of burdens in him. Now, sometimes when we're so lost in our problems, I think we can begin to lose our identity in them. We begin to feel like we are a problem instead of simply we have problems in our lives. Our whole sense of self becomes wrapped up in them. For example, instead of something like saying, I'm a person who struggles with anxiety, you would say, I am an anxious person. Do you see the difference there? I mean, one way understands that that you are separate from your problem, and the other way closely identifies your very self with the problem. Instead of, I sometimes struggle with self-worth, it becomes, I am worthless. This man doesn't believe he has a name anymore. He is simply his illness. He's legion. And yet in the midst of his pain, in the midst of being so closely identified with what's going wrong in him, something in him still hurls himself down at Jesus' feet, seeking transformation that's about to occur. Because here's what happens next. It says, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So the impure part of this man was also the self-destructive part of him. Jesus frees him from his demons, and his demons immediately go and drown themselves in a nearby lake. Now, what I notice in this biblical story is that the healing takes place in an instant, right? Jesus says the word, and the healing occurs. But most of our healing is a lifelong journey. We are involved in a lifelong journey to reclaim who we really are in Christ Jesus. And so let's go back to that question that Jesus asked. What is your name? You are not your illness. Let's start there. You are not your inner demons. You are not the worst part of you, however you would define that. What is your name? Well, God would say you are a beloved creation of God. 
That is your name. That's who you are. What's your name? You are redeemed. That's your name. You are loved. You are a child of God. That is your name, and that is your most true and authentic identity. That is how God would answer this question. And so we wonder, this man without a name, as now he is freed in an instant from his problems, what becomes of him? What happens next? And the story ends by saying, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Notice, we still don't know the man's name, do we? And I wonder if that's intentional, because I wonder if this story is really a story of us all, if any one of us can put ourselves in his shoes. All we have now is, as Mark describes it, the man who had been demon-possessed. See, the emphasis is on his change. The emphasis is on his transformed life, which is possible for him and it's possible for us. He is different. He is not the same person he was before he met Jesus. I also find it interesting that at one point, the spirits inside of him were begging to get away from Jesus, and now he is begging to follow Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, let me in the boat with you. And what I find really surprising is Jesus doesn't let him. Jesus doesn't let him get in the boat. I would have thought Jesus would say, sure, yeah, one more disciple. You can be the 13th, you know, come on for the journey. But Jesus does not let him get in the boat. Instead, it says Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Yes, it turns out that Jesus had a job for this man. He needed to go and tell his story. Have you been changed? And was it painful? I mean, chances are, when we go through those transformation times, those transformative moments of our lives that are very painful, we hold those close to our chest, don't we? Those are vulnerable stories. Those are tender-hearted stories. But if the story shares about God working in you, that's a story that can be told. I'm not saying has to be told, but it can be told because then the impact is so great on the people who hear it. That's what Jesus wanted this man to do. He said, go back to your town. Go back to the same towns that used to bind you with chains because they were so afraid of you. Go and tell them your story. Go tell them what God did in your life because that's who needs to hear it. A man who started this story living in the tombs, unable to control his mind, ends the story by traveling around his hometown, sharing about the goodness of God. I mean, this man who goes from cutting himself in a cemetery ends up sitting well-dressed at Jesus' feet. Talk about transformation. Well, as we think about the abundant life, I want us to think of this, this story, the man who's formerly known as Legion. Because if this level of change is possible, for this man, 
It's also possible for you because you have a name. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.